Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. So much of what I am reading is, is people saying, this is what I think is good. So it is. And it's like, this can be your strong preference, Jamie Dimon, certainly. You know, you have the right to have this opinion. And yeah. also... It isn't necessarily universally true that there is no creativity in remote work. <laughs> right. Like right. just Both because that's like be a true. strong conviction that you hold strongly doesn't mean that it's accurate. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my floral co-host, Rodney <laughs> Hi, everyone. On uh, today's episode, we're going to talk about heading back to work, or not. And before we do that, we may as well check in. We might as well. You can check in even if you don't work in a co-located office. Turns out, <laughs> don't anytime, have to be in a room together channel. just any time you want to. Do it with yourself. Sure. So our check-in question for today, off the back of our retreat, which was last week, mm. our tri-annual Ready Retreat, uh, what was your favorite thing about our retreat? It's hands down being able to see you and a few of our other colleagues in person. 15 months, no travel, no seeing folks, including at least two people that we saw from our team that I had never seen in real life. Yes. Seeing people from profile. Oh, weird. What? Nobody ever turns this way on a Zoom. I'm turning my head 90 degrees left. Nobody ever does that on Zoom. No and one so does it. literally people had face shapes, hair going on. I had no idea what was going on. And now I feel really reconnected. So that was like hugely enlivening for me. Alistair has so many freckles. And Tiani, as I told her after dinner, is very sparkly in person in a way that I didn't know from Zoom. Totally. She's like she like sparkles. It's oh, yeah, there's a whole energy magic. thing. It is. Uh, Same, plus one, and two specific things about being in person. One was you and I and Allie did some work together. (laughs) It felt like it was so easy. And I was like, oh, man, when you're doing creative work that's very thinky work and you can just have a wall and a stack of Post-it notes, I don't think the output was necessarily of a higher quality or better, but it definitely felt less effortful Mm. to stay focused and attentive all in a room together than it feels for me being like in mural, for example. Yes, yes. So that was a moment where at the end I was like, I feel like I didn't work that hard, but like, holy shit, we really did something. And then, yeah, going to dinner with everyone and also just being like in New York City, in the East Village on a summer night with Mm -hmm. a group of people. I was like, I was very happy that it was that group of people and also just very happy to be in that situation (laughs) with that group of people. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. 
This also feels like a very cleverly placed check-in question for today's topic. Thanks. It's like I've done this before. Almost. So let's talk about today's topic. It's, okay. It's heading back to work. What are our options? What is likely to happen? A little bit of prognostication about the future. And I guess I want to start by asking you, when you look out at the landscape of organizations that are talking publicly about this stuff, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? What are you noticing? Everybody wants to talk about this nonstop. (laughs) I feel like it is the topic at dinner parties. It is the topic with my former clients, my current clients, the media. Like, I I don't know why so many people feel so compelled to come out strong and (laughs) declare a position right now. I'm looking at you, Tim Cook. But it's it really does feel like a moment that people want to prognosticate. So I am hearing a certain camp of traditional organizations that have a lot of historied beliefs (laughs) being like, I will die on this hill. I talked to one of our former clients yesterday and a C-suite executive there stood up in front of the entire leadership team, a Fortune 100 company and said, I will never allow a flexible work policy as long as I am here. Wow. Never. Wow. So it was like a real pry this from my cold dead hands situation. Yeah. Um, So I'm seeing those. I'm seeing and hearing a lot of that. Get off my lawn. I'm seeing and hearing a lot of, (laughs) as a sub thread of that, ridiculous declarations asterisked with, unless you get manager approval. Right. Right. Which I'm assuming means we'd like the headline to read Google employees come back to work. But we know there's no fucking way that they right. actually are going to. So we're just going to leave ourselves an out. And then, you know, because of of friend network connections, a lot of people in commercial real estate who are just like willing the return to work to be true. They're just like, <laughs> it's happening. It's yeah. going to happen. And I'm like, I don't think it is really the way that you think it is. But but yeah, uh, there's there's a whole category of people who I'm in touch with only because of my husband who are just like, this was a blip. The blip is ending. We will all be taking our positions. Mm, okay. Um, and then a lot of companies who are just trying to figure it out, who know that there's no back to normal, who aren't really sure uh, how to maintain what's been great about what's happened during the pandemic. Yeah. So, you know, a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. That tracks. I've also been hearing rumors from certain engineering managers and other leaders in some of those same organizations and others like them who are basically saying like 50% of my team is at risk if I maintain these policies to the letter of the law. So maybe I won't. Yeah. And so I wonder if we're also moving into like an era of, of on-prem theater. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't (laughs) know if I've ever said this on this podcast, but there was a moment during the pandemic where I was working with a client who was being quite insistent about certain percentages of the team returning to work at the height of COVID. Right. And my advice to them was they can't fire all of you. (laughs) If you don't show up, what's going to happen? Like, is somebody coming to your house? Right. You know, and you know, we have seen some strikes and things. Yeah. And some unionization as well. Yeah. So I think it's a very interesting moment. And like with a lot of the work we do, I think any pattern that has existed in a company or an industry or a geography, you can assume that that pattern will play out in this debate 
because it plays out in every debate. So look for the same trappings Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. are people thinking systemically? Are they power literate? Are they paying attention to what's new and old? Are they effectively adapting? Because I guarantee what a company is doing about return to work is the same thing that that company is doing about compensation, about structure, about authority. Like it's turtles all the way down with this stuff. Yeah, I agree. So I think part of this maybe stems from a desire to want to have our cake and eat it too. Sure. And and yet there's not a total grasp of what those options might look like. What if we want pie? Yeah. So maybe let's start by outlining what the three major kind of binary options look like, or I guess maybe a, it's a triad. And then I think we should tease that apart a little bit. So there's come back to office mm-hmm. and we're all we all work in the office. There's remote and there's hybrid work. Can you quickly define those as we understand them at the ready? Yeah. So remote first is we don't have an office presence and people are working remotely from a location of their choosing by default. And hybrid is some portion is doing one and some portion is doing the other. And the exact ways in which those things are dialed in and equalized seems to vary wildly mm-hmm. depending on who you talk to. Right. Right. And then we all understand what it is to go into the office and do that one hour commute in in the car or the bus or the train. And just wait to be interrupted by someone who (laughs) makes more money than you do. (laughs) So I think, yeah, for me, the, the thing that's weird about this is it feels to me like most of the organizations that are going public with a stance have a pretty black and white or binary view about what the options are. And so it does feel like Either we're all in on back to work or we're all in on remote or we're going to say hybrid, but we don't actually know what it means. Totally. That and the hybrid would be this third option, except that I, I have not heard anyone describe it in a way that sounds feasible or sensible <laughs> to me yet. Right. And so I think that the challenge is that for most organizations, first of all, I think anybody who's claiming an everyone back, you know, butts and seats approach probably runs the risk of talent flight in the year ahead. You know, it's just with with very few exceptions. Of course, if you run a hospital, people have to come to work. They understand that. There's no question about it. However, there are a lot of roles in that hospital that could probably be done remotely, administrative and otherwise. But I do think, you know, if you run a restaurant, people are going to go to the restaurant. But for most, most, most of the, you know, Fortune 500, it is hard for me to believe that the top talent in the world is going to just be like, yep, back to it. I love the commute. I love being in person. I love being interrupted, to your point. And so we're going to see this talent flight. And the question is, where is it going to go, right? Yes. Does it go to other firms of the same size who get religion? Does it go to startups who are now super well-capitalized coming out of the pandemic, who have you know VC money flowing through their veins? I, maybe a little bit of both. But I, I definitely see more people looking than ever and people quitting publicly on Twitter over this stuff. And I would add a third path for the people who are taking flight from their office environment, which is all of the people who have been really cultivating their side hustle throughout the pandemic and have realized that they can actually stitch together a freelance career, making more money than they made in their old situation, having way more flexibility, maybe, you know, using a spouse's benefits or something like that and are like, you know what? (laughs) September 1, when it's been mandated, by then I'm going to have so much freelance work that I can tell these people to fuck off. 
it gives everyone a timeline for cash flow positive. It really right? does. Like- <laughs> the fact that these companies have like have forecasted so far out to be like September one, we will see you then. I'm like, will you see them then? I hope because <laughs> you just gave them a departure date. <laughs> you just like really let them know when they need to have their ducks in a row. So like, I hope somebody shows up to your party on September first. But I think to your point, there are a lot of people. Look, there are a lot of people who are making those calculations and also. I think we can't discount the experience that we've all just been through. Yeah. So it's not just people going like, you know what? All of the things about being in the office that I didn't like, I still don't like, and I don't want to return to. It's also that people had the opportunity to have a very different kind of life experience. So there right. are all of these parents who are like, I made it to a soccer game for the first time right. or were able to cultivate a side hustle or or introverts who were able to read and process and learn in a way that was useful to them or 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 or, or and 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 people actually have a lived experience of a better right. way in many cases and so it's not supposition they're now going like you know what? It's actually not a trade-off that I'm willing to make. Mm-hmm. And before it was a speculative trade-off. It was like, maybe if I were freelance, I would have more balance and I would see my children and I would be more autonomous and happy, maybe. but I don't know. Yeah. Now they know. Yeah. We, we are changed and not just changed in terms of what we know, but also just changed from the experience emotionally, cognitively, socially. We're not the same as we were. So even though we're evaluating the same choice, I agree with you. We're looking at it with different eyes. And there is something to that. And at the same time, I also think there are some natural human behavior things working against us as well, which is, you know, status quo bias is a thing. Mm, sure. And and guess what the new status quo is? Right. We all work yeah. at home. Yeah, we se- we've set up the systems to work from home. Yeah. So like after 15, 16 months of that, it does feel like even if I have no reason pro or con for either direction, this is where my cheese is now. And so for some percentage of us, it's like, "Mm, I don't want to move my cheese again. Mm -hmm. You know, and I didn't want to the first time in many cases, right? Like I just leave my cheese alone. So yeah, so I think that's problematic. And I think looking ahead, what I'm most worried about, and, and I'd be curious what you have hesitation around, is that organizations are going to attempt to, to split the issue by playing the hybrid card. Mm. And say like, oh, you know, you can apply to go remote or it's your choice or we're going to maintain these offices. We're going to do this or that dance. And my fear is that without more structure around that, without more thinking and theory behind it, what could happen is within specific teams and within specific units, you have a very haphazard location game where, yeah, half the HR teams in the office and half isn't. When it then comes time to make a decision, have a meeting, you know, b- build a new team, what have you, I just see all these opportunities for frustration and chaos because as you and I have experienced for years doing workshop facilitation around the world, it's not uncommon for like a couple people to be out of the office or to be sick and suddenly you have 30 people in the room and five people on Zoom. Yeah, and I'll tell you right now, that is the worst. It is. It's the worst. Yeah, it's trash. It's the worst of both worlds. And so the idea that somehow that's going to work, and even our business, like we've talked about, you know, are we going to go back to a more travel-dependent way of delivering? And I'm just thinking, for almost every client we have, tell me when everyone's going to be in one place, that we yeah, would even right. travel there. Yeah, what, we're going right. to travel to see half the team? What the hell can we do with half the team? Yeah. We can't even do our facilitation. 
with whoever's present. So I'm, yeah, I'm super duper hesitant about the, not hybrid as a possible concept for the long-term future, but hybrid as a get out of jail free card where we're just like, oh yeah, we're going to, it's a hybrid thing. We'll just figure it out as we go. Yeah. So here's how I've been thinking about the hybrid thing. And because we haven't actually talked about this yet, I'm curious if this is your mental model for this. Coming in hot. Okay. So I agree with you if the hybridization is either left to the leadership or left to the individual. So I don't think it should be like, it's Tuesday. I'm going to stay home today. And Wednesday, (laughs) I'm going to go in. Like, I don't think that kind of randomness in terms of hybrid work works, especially within moments, like within meetings or within workshops or whatever. That's the office as a we work model is what I call that. Exactly. Exactly. And when people are, you know, I've heard some CEOs recently who are talking about their corporate footprint and are just talking about like hoteling and hot desking. And I'm like, yeah, I worked for a consulting firm, a big one. We we did that 20 years ago as a real estate play. That's not where we're talking about now. That's not what (laughs) hybrid work isn't hot desking. So what my mental model for hybrid work that I think and hope actually works is, is team level agreements around when they're home, when they're in, and some team of team level agreements that say, you know, the third Wednesday of the month, we do team of teams level governance. So everybody is in the office or, you know, the, the first week of the quarter, we go off site to do X, Y, and Z. I feel like I want the rhythm to be dictated at the team level not either of those other ends of the spectrum. I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly where I came to. In a recent walk, I was talking about this. It seems to me that there are some teams where the nature of the work they do or the nature of the people that make up the team make it optimal to be in person. 100%. And to your point about our jam session at retreat, I think one of those situations that's often true, not always true, but often true, is when you're creating something completely new. Yes, and it is like a business, like you're building a product, you're building a business, you're doing something from scratch, and you're the first five people, there is some advantage. There's some there's some advantage to being in the room together as often as you can be. It doesn't mean you have to do it that way. And in fact, there are many companies like GitLab, who, you know, Sid was on the show, yeah. who have just chosen not to do that. And the way I see that is basically, if you pay the tax, then by not being in person, you lose a little bit of velocity and coherence but you gain later a stronger competency in remote work. And so you have like, you've got that whole daisy chain of knowing how to do it well. So you can take advantage of that when you're at scale. And the same token, there are trade-offs the other way where you actually gain the advantage of the coherence and the speed and and the proximity and the serendipity. But then later on, you may have trouble with what is our remote strategy? Are we going to have a limited talent pool? Are we going to be co-located forever? Have we sort of shot ourselves in the foot in terms of global talent strategy. Mm -hmm. And so I, yeah, I do, I do really like that line of thinking. And the only thing you said that, that I have a hang up about is if you really go down the road of remote within a team of teams, if one of the teams, for example, decides to go like global remote yeah, and you have someone in Sri Lanka, they're probably not going to make the once a month mountain view meetup. And so there has to be some accommodation for that. Um, That like the team decision holds as the law of the land and then everything else can be optional or can be opt-in, except for maybe the like 
biannual retreat or yeah. something, you know, stuff like that. I think there are ways to to tackle it. But to your point, it is about it's about agreements between yeah. teams and within teams. Yeah. And one thing that that sparked for me is what is great about in-person. So, you know, I do think that the example that you gave is a good one of when being in a room together is helpful. And I want to also parse that because it's Mm -hmm. like a lot of what I'm reading and what I'm seeing people say is like that line of reasoning applied very broadly. It's (laughs) like there's energy and there's burstiness and that's where we innovate is in a room. Okay. I just want to say a couple things about that because that (laughs) might be true. But it's not always true. And in the case that we're talking about, which is, I think, a very good totem for when that is true, you're talking about a very small group of people who are all actually responsible for the work. You're talking about people who are ve- have very high trust and are really connected to each other. So working in person feels safe and energizing, right. not fraught and more difficult. <laughs> and yep. you're talking about the kind of dynamic where feeding off of each other's energy, having spaciousness to pause and think is missing from something like Zoom mm-hmm. and is is critical to that particular kind of work. The only reason I want to specify that is because I, I am reading a lot of assumptions that like, that's always the calculus. And it's right. not. Like right. most in-person work is not that. Most in-person work is... 16 people sitting around a table, breathing carbon dioxide that makes them stupid while they listen to someone read to them from a PowerPoint deck. That, they that could is have read expressly not what we are talking about when we're yeah. like, wow, that really sung in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I, I agree with that completely. And I think it boils down to, first of all, what is the nature of the actual work? Yes. Right. Is this actuarial work or is this video production? 100%. And right. And so if, you know, if we're shooting video, boy, that's a strong argument for in person. Right. But if we're doing video editing, less strong. And so I think part of it is just dialing into that. And then the other thing is really getting clear on like, are there moments where this stuff matters and where a little bit goes a long way? And I think Mm -hmm. this is what the ready has come to. This is what, you know, murmur has come to. This is what a lot of, of organizations that practice remote first get is a week together goes a long way. And so you actually can have the benefits of the the connection, the human connection, and also moments where you are creating, where you are innovating, where you are really focused yeah. on the stuff that matters. And then the rest of the time when you are, to your point, you know, reviewing PowerPoint decks, like we don't have to do that in the same real estate. Yeah. And so, yeah, I do think that's possible. And I also think that a lot of what, people are saying does feel very binary or trinary. I just made that up if we add hybrid work, but um, I like it, but it's like retreats or offsites are a good example, but also this idea that like either we all work in an office together every day, <laughs> right? Or we don't, or I could have enough spending authority to buy a plane ticket when I want to go and see a colleague for two days because in-person work would be really valuable. Like that, that cost savings instead of us having a lease to service every (laughs) single one is quite significant, but I don't see 
What I don't see that I'd like to see around hybrid work is like a menu of options. Right. Okay. Here's the kind of work that we're serving up that we need to do. Could we do it in Zoom? Could we do it asynchronously? Could we do it in mural? Can we do it in a document? Could we do it with one person traveling, everyone traveling, going fully yes. offsite? Let's think, let's have a menu of rather moves. than having one choice that we've made and has to work for every single situation for the rest of our lives. I think that's brilliant because first of all, most people don't think of those options. They're, they're used to being in a rut. And so it's like, ah, I don't, you know, it doesn't occur. Right. And second of all, it breaks down the trade-off game. Cause as we've talked about on the yeah. show a bajillion times, every org design decision is a trade-off. You're always prioritizing one thing, one advantage, one thing you're going to get over something else. What sucks about monotheistic decisions, like we're all back in the office or we're all remote or whatever, is you're making that trade-off in one fell swoop for the entire organization. That doesn't seem like great accounting to me. Yeah. And whereas having a a menu of moves, like you said, is like, well, cool. We can make that trade-off in micro doses. We can make them at a team level and we can make them at an individual decision level And it seems like that's the hybrid remote strategy I want to see a Fortune 500 CEO come out with and be like, hey, here's what we're doing. Every team at Citibank is going to make a consent-based decision about whether the nature of their work requires co-location or not. Mm -hmm. And then we're giving every team at Citibank a set of moves that are authorized at the team level and at the individual level to take in order to optimize serendipity and innovation and coherence and togetherness and all that stuff. And that's our hybrid work strategy. Put a bow on it. Put a bow on it. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That would be game changing. I'm not, I'm not seeing that anywhere yet. No, 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 nor will you. And, and I'm also seeing the, the false choice being forced that could also be solved by options and and also frankly by working agreements like yeah i read this article of, i think that got that that circulated quite a bit of a ceo who apparently has been talking to other ceos about how everybody needs to get their ass back to work and the example that was given specifically in this article was a new team member joining during the pandemic not being successful and no one being willing to give that person feedback because they didn't have an established relationship because they weren't yeah. a person. Yeah. And I'm like, I totally understand why human behavior would let that be true. And there's a really easy way to overcome that, which is right. to have a feedback agreement and to like <laughs> have mechanisms for doing that. It's like, you know, how many new team members are we working with? How many new team members have you seen clients on board? It doesn't have to be like, well, I guess because Alistair and I didn't meet until last week, he hasn't gotten feedback for 15 months. <laughs> no, that's not. Those aren't the only choices available to you. Yes. Yes. Uh, so I just I, I'm hearing a lot of that kind of rhetoric where it's there's no way to learn if we're not in the office there's no way to give feedback there's no way to have it and i'm like that's just not true and it's lazy and it's just a rhetorical way to prop up the argument which is basically as the person in charge it is more convenient for me to walk out of my office and get what i want and need and so now i'm going to call these reasons for why that must be true yeah yeah, there's no question based on the the tone and and the style of these announcements that there's an ego and like friction out part of this for most of these CEOs, right? Totally. Where they're just like, <laughs> you know what? 
Right. I want to be able to walk out and grab somebody by the shoulder and have a conversation with whoever I want about whatever I want. I want to be able to sit in my office and hold court. And that's, yep. you know, that's part of the part of the dynamics. So I, I do think that that is real. But I think that most of these arguments fall flat if they're tested even a little bit, right? Oh, we can't be innovative if we're remote. Really? The internet was built remotely. Right. And it seems pretty innovative. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's... I think it's, innovation it's, has happened. It's nonsense, yeah. But I think that the points that do land with me are the points about human connection, maybe a little bit about serendipity. I do think those things are hard to recreate in remote. And that's why I believe in retreats. That's why I believe in you have the right to buy a plane ticket. That's why those things are critical. One thing I want to make so clear is we're not going to undo a couple million years of evolution in the space of 15 months. And the reality is I am not built head, body, and soul to like look at you in a two-by-two picture on my phone and feel any kind of energy like I feel when we're in the room together. Sure. (laughs) Like, I do not. It's not the same. You know, you're a TV character to me right now. Right, right. And and in person, it's like every fiber of my being is like, oh, you're in community right now. Like, Mm -hmm. you're in, you're part of the group. Mm -hmm. And so you have to show up accordingly. You're energetically showing up to that. So I, I don't want anyone to walk away being like, we don't ever need to be together in person. But it is it is a huge trade-off, I think, especially in 2021, to say, well, if you don't leave in Denver, you're fucked. Right. You can't work here. <laughs> and it's like, you've just eliminated 99.5% of the talent pool. Yeah. And in this market, when it's so competitive for talent, I mean, I can't tell you, even for simple jobs, right? I mean, even especially for, for hourly jobs right now, nobody can hire anybody. Right. So to, to limit your pool to like, oh, yeah, if you're not in New York, you can't work at J.P. Morgan. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. And this actually relates to something that Ted Rao said on this mm. podcast that I've been repeating constantly. Friend of the show, Ted Rao. Ted, I hope you're listening because <laughs> I'm going to get a tattoo of a thing that you might not even remember saying. To paraphrase, Ted said something like, it is very easy to mistake your own range of tolerance for actual quality. Mm. And that has really like burrowed its way into my brain because so much of what I am reading is, is people saying, this is what I think is good. So it is. Therefore, it's the only thing that's Therefore, good. there must be reasons. And it's like, this can be your strong preference, Jamie Diamond, certainly, you know, you have the right to have this opinion. And yeah. also, it isn't necessarily universally true that there is no creativity in remote work. <laughs> right. Like, right. just Both because that's like be a true. strong conviction that you hold strongly doesn't mean that it's accurate. And particularly, it doesn't, you know, and we alluded to this earlier in the show, but when I think about things like innovation and understanding a little bit about how creativity actually works, depending on your sort of neural orientation, that takes wildly different forms. And so the idea that everyone is creative because they're sitting in a glass room in Manhattan together is just nonsense. There are people who need to be in a park or need to be in a dark room or need to read for three days or need to draw or need to talk or need to hug. Like people have very different needs to be creative. So there's just not one right way. And so the, the only thing that's irritating about it to me is people in positions of outsized power declaring that there is one right way because it's right for them. 
But isn't that exactly back to the macro Jedi issues across all of our ways of working, right? Which of is course. let's optimize for the extroverts, let's optimize for the loudmouths, let's optimize for, you know, the traditional groups that have had power. And so of course, yeah, you think, oh, the only way to be creative is to be in a room with everybody, you know, being bursty. Right. That's just this not is the case. Not true. And, and no, and and it's exclusionary. It's not inclusive. And and what's more. When you talk to organizations that have historically been remote, what they tend to find their way into are ways of communicating and thinking deeply and being innovative that don't feel like the normal moves. And we talked about this with Sid a little bit about GitLab. It's a mm-hmm. lot more documentation. It is. It's a lot more like write it down, be thoughtful, think about it. Other people might react to that, have deep thoughts, take a walk. It's a contemplative kind of creativity mm-hmm. that you don't get in the room. You just don't get that chance to like sit with something and be with it for an hour alone in solitude. And what we've learned from Cal Newport's recent book from, uh, you know, other sources is this idea that like time to contemplate and time to be quiet and solitude are super important. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think there's, there's a move to be made there. And while we're on the sort of Jedi lens, I don't need to regurgitate the 90 million words that have been written about women in this pandemic. But one thing that really has occurred to me, and I've, I've reflected on this a lot. I read an article a long time ago during the pandemic, during the time that we were being told that masks were ineffective about effectively the way in which SARS in Asia was stamped out really early. And, and, and part of that is because it is so typical or so common in so many Asian cultures to wear a mask when one is sick. But the thing that was really interesting to me about it was that in some place, I think it was in Hong Kong, everyone wore a mask during Mm -hmm. SARS so that the people who had it didn't feel like pariahs. Yeah. And as a result of that, they eliminated this virus and, and did not endure a pandemic that they were very much on the precipice of enduring in a very significant way. And I've thought about that as it relates to remote work, because historically there is a lot of baggage around remote work being for particularly women who have family commitments. Ah, yes. And it's like, it's always allowed with a little bit of shade. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got to get on the 545 train because of the nanny. And To me, part of what you're doing with remote work is not just allowing people who have any life outside of work to potentially live it, but you're (laughs) leveling the playing field by saying you are not a, you are not a less valuable person or a second class citizen in some way because you work remotely, because we all do it. We're all wearing a mask. We're all wearing a mask. You're not a pariah because you don't have the flexibility to just stay here and go right to drinks because Bob decided tonight was the night he didn't want to go home. I love that. That's great. Can I throw a thought bomb at you to wrap up the episode? Yeah. Bomb it Here's out, man. a thought bomb. All I right. was having a conversation with a friend of mine and where we landed was, you know, back to complexity. We talk about a lot on the show, like systems thinking, looking at the broader system. One of the things underlying this that you mentioned with your commercial real estate friends mm. is that, it's quite reasonable to say that if everybody went to remote work right now, we might be thrown into a massive depression. Yes. Because the commercial real estate system is huge and is a significant part of the economy and it would not immediately recover from that. And so I wonder if 
there's a little like systemic energy, emergent systemic energy that's like, you know what? If we don't do this slowly and in pieces, mm. we could actually wreck shop. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I buy that. Yeah. I buy that. It's like, are we even going to need film cameras? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a there's a, a thing I think that goes on in complex systems that I don't have a name for yet, but where they do self-protective, <laughs> self-defensive things that are system aware, not individually aware. And so it does, it feels like phenomenological to me, like, oh yeah, J- just as a thought experiment, if we all really follow through with this, it would be problematic in the short term. It would be catastrophic. So it's just like a weird collective handbrake on evolution. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I, it's a, I'm getting a little meta, but I, I, love but I it. do... I do believe that. And so I think maybe what we'll see is what needs to happen, which is often what happens in in self-organizing systems. What needs to happen is we need to have like 10% go right away, 20% go in six months. In a year, the ones that tried hybrid badly realize it and they course correct. In two years, like we get the laggards. I, I, I do think this is a five or 10 year journey that we're on. And the pandemic forced a snap taste Mm-hmm. But I don't think the I don't think the battle's over. I think we're going to get like a tug of war between remote, on-prem, and hybrid over the next decade, and then it'll settle out in an interesting way. And I guess I don't know; those buildings will all become Halloween superstores. I buy that. <laughs> if you like what you're hearing, please do review us, follow us, subscribe to us, or forward our show to someone who needs it. Make us proud. Make our mothers proud. Uh, All right. A quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good. As always, Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work and figure out how the hell to get back to work. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. As for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something.